several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow Talk to me If you're a wine lover who loves exploring a vast number of wines and wineries, and you were asked to choose your 101 favorite wineries, there's no doubt it would be a daunting task. Well, the massive food and wine-themed website, The Daily Meal, asked sommeliers, restaurateurs, wine writers, chefs, and wine-savvy editors to tackle that very daunting challenge. And the list they came up with is full of pleasant and unexpected surprises, plus food for thought and lots of fuel for conversation. And since talking wine is what we're all about on Grape Encounters Radio, I'm so pleased to have the editorial director of The Daily Meal, Coleman Andrews, on the line with me to get the conversation started. Now, if you're a wine and food lover, there's a better than excellent chance that you've read something that Coleman has written. He's a six-time James Beard Journalism Award winner with numerous renowned food, wine, and lifestyle books to his credit. His byline has also appeared in the Los Angeles Times, Bon Appetit, Food and Wine Magazine, Travel and Leisure Magazine, and many more benchmark publications, including Saver Magazine, which he co-founded in 1994. Today, Coleman Andrews resides in New York, but actually grew up around my West Coast stomping grounds. Coleman, you're a California boy. I am, indeed. So you spent a good long time out here in California. UCLA graduate? UCLA graduate. Grew up in West L.A., uh, lived in Venice and Santa Monica, went to high school in Ojai, which is almost uh, the central coast where you are, and been around Southern California for uh, many, many decades. And by the way, I started my professional career in Santa Monica and lived and bumped around Venice and Santa Monica for a good part of my adult life. So we've crossed paths a lot. But you have been a writer for a lot of different amazing top-tier publications And let's just talk about a couple of those before we jump into the list, because you've been there, done that, Los Angeles Times, and many, many more. Can you just run down the list of magazines and newspapers? Oh, boy. Well, I won't give you the whole list, because that would take up the whole show. Hey, just um, just the good ones. (laughs) Los Angeles Magazine uh, was the wine columnist for almost 10 years in the latter 70s and early 80s. I was an editor at New West Magazine, no longer around, but that became California Magazine. That's no longer around either. Not my fault. And (laughs) As you said, the Los Angeles Times, I wrote a lot about restaurants, edited their travel sections for a while, and uh, then I've, you know, all of the major food magazines. I moved back to New York about 20 years ago to be a co-founder of a magazine called Sever, which uh, became fairly popular. 
And actually, when I left there, I wrote for Gourmet uh, up until the time they folded. Also not my fault, I hasten to add. And, you know, I've written for Food and Wine and Bon Appetit and all of those sort of major culinary magazines and wrote a lot for publications in the UK, the Daily Mail as opposed to the Daily Meal, uh, the Mail on Sunday, the Radio Times, which is the BBC's magazine, all kinds of stuff. You're like 120 years old. Yeah, I am. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I drink good wine, so I, I look younger. And also, I do want to mention a six-time James Beard Journalism Award winner. That's amazing. Right. And I've written all kinds of books. I don't know, eight or ten books about food, including a biography of Ferran Adria, the legendary Catalan chef, and a book about the cooking of Ireland, believe it or not, and several books on Italy and, you know, all kinds of stuff. I'm working on a book right now in the UK. I can can spend a lot of time just talking to you about the cuisine of Barcelona. I know you spend a lot of time there. We just took a group of listeners there, and wow, my new favorite city in the world. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. All right, so let's start with what life was like writing about wine in the 70s and 80s and how much easier it would have been to compile this list then versus now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, as you know, I mean, the big explosion, just in talking just about California, the big explosion in California, the number of wineries happened in the 1970s. and, And you could have probably pretty fairly, if you took the Napa Valley, you could have said, okay, there are 15, maybe 20 really good producers in the Napa Valley. And that's a generous uh, number. That would include some of the large ones like Charles Krug and Louis Martini, who, who made, let's not forget, excellent wines. And, you know, there were some smaller producers, but uh, at the time I started going to the Napa Valley, I think the small guys were Joe Heights and uh, Lee Stewart at Souverain, which was later bought up by a corporation and, and became something else again. And, you know, there, there, there was really a handful of wineries. And now uh, it, there was a, a point, I think, in the 80s, when every time I'd go to the Napa Valley, I'd go into uh, this, this wine shop there and uh, Grossinger's, which I, I don't think it's there anymore, I don't know. And every time I'd see how many labels I'd never heard of. And I'd go up there once every two or three months. And every time I went in, there'd be 20 new labels, 30 new yeah. labels. And of course, every label isn't necessarily a winery, but uh, but still, I mean, the number today, I don't know how many wineries are there in California, 500, 600, 700, I don't know. Are you crazy? You know, and, we're, talking, we're talking thousands now. Yeah, and I used to go to the, um, I used to go up to Seattle every year. There was a thing called the Enological Society of the Pacific Northwest that had a big event at the Space Needle every year, every summer. And I remember the um, first year that I had a red wine from the Pacific Northwest, and everybody was saying, you can't make red wine here. This is white wine country. Yeah. And some somebody had a, a small producer had a Cabernet Merlot, and I said, oh, that's pretty good. And you could make Pinot Noir, but nobody thought of making Cabernet and Merlot and Syrah and things like that in the Northwest. And Idaho had one winery, Saint Chapelle, which is still probably the largest winery there. And now in Idaho, there's probably, I don't know, there's 40 or 50 wineries. There's 40 or 50 wineries in Colorado. There's I mean, they're everywhere. Yeah. Really unbelievable. And I never would have dreamed, you know, even 15 years ago that we would be drinking some amazing Idaho wines. There actually is a song called Potato Wine, and uh, that kind of (laughs) describes the thinking about Idaho wine back then. But, you know, there are some very... There's a Muppets Muppets movie where there's a joke about Idaho champagne. I think Kermit (laughs) buys uh, Miss Miss Picky and Idaho champagne. Okay, so so going back to your days in California, would you have ever imagined that fast forward 30 years, you would be putting on a top 101 winery list a winery from Malibu? Malibu? 
No, I wouldn't have, but I wouldn't have imagined Paso Robles either. That that was as, <laughs> almost as foreign. Seriously, I mean, you know, there was that part of the world, as you know, <laughs> I mean, probably not the first person that planted grapes, but the first person anyone had ever heard of, and it was a curiosity, was uh, the great pianist Paderewski. Yes. Who uh, planted Zinfandel up around there somewhere and in the, I don't know, in the 40s or 50s. And he was like a crackpot for doing that. And those vines still exist. and uh, they, they do, yeah. And Epic is making some epic wines from uh-huh. the, for those same grapes. It's uh-huh. really amazing. You know, it's a very funny story. I had a conversation with Dr. Stan Hoffman, who mm-hmm. was the founder of Hoffman Mountain Ranch, which was one of the right, re- yeah, really I early founders. Him. And and he traded, I think it was 10 or 12 acres in Thousand Oaks, California, which mm-hmm. is whatever, three hours south right. of Paso Robles for 1,400 mm-hmm. acres in Paso Robles <laughs> because it was just farmland, you know? Yeah. Grazing yeah. land. On the line with us, the editorial director of the Daily Meal, Coleman Andrews. Coleman, tell me about the criteria that was used to select these wineries that you chose as the 101 best wineries. And also, was there some kind of curve that was used so that you could incorporate wineries from other states? Because certainly California has an overwhelming edge over the rest of the country. Right. Well, that's reflected in the list, which is about two-thirds from California, yeah. uh, which I'm, I'm sure some people will complain about, in fact, because they'll think it's too many. But you and I both know you could have 101 great wineries in Napa alone or Sonoma alone or the Central Coast alone. Yeah. So these kinds of lists are always are always really tough to do. But what I asked, we reached out to uh, about 50 um, sommeliers, wine writers, in some cases chefs and restaurateurs who were really knowledgeable about wine, wine bloggers and so forth. And we asked them for their nominations and, and for, for reasons. But I did say, th- these are the criteria I said. Okay, obviously we want a winery that makes great wine. We want a winery that does it consistently. It doesn't have to make a huge amount. It doesn't have to make a huge variety, even if it's just one or two varieties of grapes, as long as they do a really good job. And then I asked to figure in a kind of quality to price ratio. You know, uh, value is not necessarily associated with low price. So a wine can be very expensive, but it can be worth it. But I said, frankly, there are some very expensive wines that probably aren't worth it. So wineries that produce those, let's leave those out. And then I said, please consider not just the obvious places, California, Pacific Northwest, maybe New York State, but consider the entire country. And, you know, there wasn't really a curve in terms of, uh, you know, statistically working that out. But I urged people, I said, if you had a really good wine or some really good wines from a winery somewhere else than California and the Pacific Northwest, please include that. Coleman, I'm going to take a very quick break and we'll just dive right into the list when we return with Grape Encounters Radio. Sounds good. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio, where we tell you things your parents never taught you about wine. But don't blame them. Grape Encounters wasn't around in those days. We like to talk about wine. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. 
inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Corbin link online at GrapeEncounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Corbin at GrapeEncounters.com. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. He's setting down the wine glass and picking up the microphone. Here's your Grape Encounters host, David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, California. I'm praying for rain in California So that grapes can grow and they can make more wine Back with Grape Encounters Radio and on the line with us, the editorial director of the Daily Meal, Coleman Andrews. They've just published a very fascinating list, and you will not be able to go through the entire list in the time that we have with Coleman, but let's just talk about it in a more general sense. So let me ask you this. I have been very active promoting wines from Texas, wines from the Finger Lakes, encouraging listeners to try some of these wines. But the simple fact remains that the wines just aren't available to most consumers. And if you want them, you're going to have to contact the winery directly. And then it's iffy whether or not the winery is going to be able to ship the wines to you. That's obviously changing. But do you think that that's the reason why we tend to think mostly about the obvious California, Oregon, Washington, and a few other places, as opposed to some of these other states that are doing a great job? Well, that's one thing. And obviously, the the other consideration is a lot of these producers are very small. But the same is true of so many California wineries that everything you just said, I mean, the the small production, but also the difficulty of finding the wines. You know, you you want a Massacan Pinot Grigio or something, or you want a wine from a a winery like Whetstone in in Napa or uh, Corazon or Copan in the Russian River Valley. You you know, you you can't walk into your neighborhood wine store and, and find those on the shelves. They take work to find. A lot of wines, in fact, some of the wineries, I tried to, to minimize this, but some of the wineries we included, the wines are only available on allocation, and you have to, you know, you have to be uh, on the mailing list, and you, if you're lucky, you get a chance to buy three bottles here or six bottles there. But I'd love to see these producers get bigger uh, without losing their quality and, and be more readily available, but that's a problem. I mean, it's a problem with anything, even a well-known winery. If, if I recommend to you a very specific wine, you know, so-and-so winery, 2012 Cabernet Sauvignon, so-and-so vineyard that I just bought yesterday in, in New York City, you may not be able to find it in California, or somebody may not be able to find it in Chicago or in Florida. <laughs> it's the and, way it goes. And what's interesting is that we've become so accustomed to buying 
consumer goods on places like Amazon.com. But when you actually look at the number of people who are buying wines, wine online, it's really a very small percentage of the overall purchases are made online. And I'm not sure why that is exactly. I think it's one of those things where we kind of want to taste it first. But even so, that would solve a lot of the problems for the smaller wineries to develop, uh, you know, a better Internet trade. Yeah, uh, it, it would. Uh, we, we just published an article, in fact, on the Daily Mail about the fact that somebody did a study that people use the Internet to search wines and research wines, but not to buy them. Yeah, interesting. And they could save so much money by doing it. Okay, we only have a couple of minutes. So let's hit a couple of the interesting points here on the list. Number one winery I could get to during the commercial break, Tablas Creek here in Paso Robles. Why? And I'm not questioning the choice, but of all of the wineries out there, what an amazing thing. Well, I mean, first of all, they make really good wine, as you know. Uh, It's an example of a um, a French company that's come to California and become very Californian while using a lot of French ideas and technology. And as you know, there have been French companies in California that haven't done so well. Uh, Remember Deutsch Champagne, which was not too far from you? Yeah, now Letitia, yeah. Right, exactly. I mean, it's it's not a given that they're going to do well, but they've done very well here, but they've really embraced the area. And, I mean, the fact that they've been activists in uh, getting the Paso Robles AVA expanded into 11 Sub-AVAs, for instance, it's really recognizing that it's not a monolithic region, as, as you well know, living there. The differences in the exposures and the temperatures and everything else are, are immense. So that's kind of important. Uh, you know, there's sustainable agriculture, there's uh, traditional winemaking, and everybody talks about Rhone varieties, and a lot of people are doing interesting things with them, but these guys own it, as far as I'm concerned. And those wines have been so consistently good, in my opinion. I mean, this was not only my opinion, this was obviously uh, voted on by a number of people, but the name came up again and again. And again. How much consensus was there between the 50 or so people that were on the panel? Did you see many of the same names over and over again? Or were there some onesie twosies that are on the list? A number of the names we saw over and over again. And, and I think if you look at probably the top 10 or 15, those were probably on almost everybody's list. And then I was surprised because I frankly don't know the wines, uh, although I've had Virginia wines, but Linden Vineyards, Linden, Virginia, which is specialized in Bordeaux varieties, but they also do some oddball things like they make a late harvest Petit Mansang and they make a Vidal and uh, things like that that I don't know how many off the top of my head, but, but I saw that name again and again and again on these uh, surveys that came back. So they're the number one. It's not the only one, but they're the highest rated Virginia winery at number 15. So I know we have to wrap it up, but your most pleasant surprise or two on the list? <laughs> That's hard to say, except I, I was actually very glad because of, uh, as I said, I've been going to California uh, wineries for many years. I was glad to see Heights place very high. I think, you know, the, with the uh, absence of Joe Heights, it was such a um, commanding character. I have all kinds of anecdotes about him, and I'll share someday. But, you know, that with him gone, uh, I think people don't pay as much attention to heights as they used to. But I think if you had the Martha's Vineyard Cabernet recently or something, I mean, they're, they're just still extraordinary wines. Smith Madrone is another one, another Napa winery that uh, we actually named our winery of the year last year. That was a smaller group that voted on that, but glad to see they did very well. I mean, one place that I've, I've known the wines for years, I've been drinking them for years off and on, is New Mexico, the, the Gruet Champagnes or, yeah. or Sparkling Wines, which is a, a French company from the Champagne region that has been just doing very, very well there. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in Texas and was uh, participating in the, this uh, Hill Country Wine Festival for some years, and so I had exposure to a lot of Texas wines. And I know some of the best Viognier's I've had uh, from Texas, uh, they do, a, I think, a better job in California in general with Tempranillo 
which uh, turns out to be a grape that does particularly well there. But also, uh, I mean, there were certainly wineries here I'd never heard of. And there's a winery that a, a few of our participants recommended highly in Maryland. The Maryland winery that I've heard of for many years is Bourdi Vineyards, which has been going for, I don't know, 50 years probably. But this is one called Black Ankle. And they make apparently, I haven't tasted it yet, but they make apparently, among other things, excellent Syrah. So maybe Maryland will in turn Maryland. out to be good Syrah country. Yeah. And, and none of the surprises were wineries that I don't know that got to make it a point to go out and, and get some of their wines like that Black Ankle in uh, Maryland. Uh, there's a winery called Boundary Breaks in Lodi, New York, that makes nothing but my friend Norman Van Aken, who's a chef in Florida, and just uh, thinks is like the, the hottest thing in, in Riesling right now anywhere. Well, I appreciate you coming on. The list is published at The Daily Meal. And by the way, it's not The Daily Mail. It's The Daily Meal. <laughs> and right. once you get to this website, you're going to be addicted to it. It's the lead story on the site right now. So check it out. It's a very interesting list and certainly gives you a lot of food for thought on wines that you might want to discover. But a lot of it just makes so much sense to me. I wish we had more time to talk about it. But Coleman, I really appreciate you coming on. Can we have you back on sometime real soon? Sure, love to, love to. Uh, love to do it as well. All right, Coleman Andrews, Editorial Director for The Daily Meal. Check out the 101 Best Wineries in America. I think you're going to find some great surprises there. All right, our exploration of The Daily Meal's 101 Best Wineries in America isn't over yet. In fact, weighing in in just a second, yes, indeedy, it is Sarah Schneider finally back after being away from Grape Encounters for about a month. Actually, she hasn't been the only one that's been away. I've been on the road. She's been on the road. So we haven't been able to get together at the same time. Well, we've got her holding on the line. And in just a couple of seconds, we're going to get Sarah's take on the top 101 wine list. So don't go anyplace. Coming up next, it is the wine editor of Sunset Magazine, our very own Sarah Schneider, joining us when we return with Grape Encounters Radio. You're having a grape encounter with David Wilson. What a way to spend the day. I say, little old wine drink of me. Living in and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. Grape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street, the historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at GrapeEncounters.com. If you'd like to hear more no-nonsense talk about wine and all the fun that goes with it, check out winetalkshow.com. At winetalkshow.com, you'll find a massive library of content for fun-loving, unpretentious people who aren't afraid to step outside the lines and challenge conventional wisdom. We'll take you places you've never been before. That's a promise. Expand your wine horizons in unimaginable ways at winetalkshow.com. 
Nestled between world-class Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo wine countries, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the humble heart of the Central Coast. With access to endless wine country adventures, including wine and olive oil tasting tours, artisan farm experiences, food, wine, and cultural events, historic Atascadero's cozy and oh-so-friendly atmosphere make it the perfect home base for Central Coast tourists. Discover more about the heart of the Central Coast at visitatascadero.com. She's earthy, honest, and sipping each week as a service to you. From Sunset Magazine, it's Sarah Schneider, and this is Sipping with Sarah on Grape Encounters Radio. All right, and your Grape Encounter continues. And now for all of you who have written me letters or contacted me in other ways, wondering about the disappearance of one Sarah Schneider, wine editor for the esteemed Sunset Magazine, I want to put to bed all of the rumors that have circulated that she and I got incredibly intoxicated on wine and she took a leave of absence. Sarah! Hi, David. It's not true, right? Absolutely not true. Gosh, no. no. But it I, is good to be missed. People have implied that sort of thing, and that's terrible because we're professionals and we do not overindulge and admit it. <laughs> there you go. I was hoping you'd add that last. We, we have to have a caveat in there. It's no fun if you never overindulge. Well, you know, what's funny is it's just been the set of circumstances because people have been certainly contacting me saying, where's Sarah? You know, is she sick? Has she been kidnapped? Alien abduction? You know, all of these sorts of things. But the reality is I traveled for 40 days in the last two months. You've been traveling and you're getting ready to travel again. Hence, we're doing this by phone. Yeah. So where have you been? I've been doing a ton of scouting for some extra wine stories we're doing coming up. So I've been on the road a little bit, but it's all been for work. You've been out scouting and I've been on outings. Okay. All right. So we just finished up with Coleman Andrews, the editorial director for the Daily Meal. That guy has amazing credentials, doesn't he? He does. He does. I have never met him, but I have heard much about him. And one of my colleagues here used to work very very, very closely with him at Savour Magazine. Yes, he has more credentials than somebody who's been alive for 200 years. So amazing. So we got to get the two of you together. But you got a, a gander at the list, right, of the 101 top wineries. What did you think about that list? I mean, I found it mostly fascinating and very little that I would disagree with. But Coleman and I didn't really get to dig down too deep into the list. But I wanted to get your thoughts now that you've had a chance to let it percolate a little bit. Well, it's interesting. It, my first thought was, how do you ever point out 101 wineries and say, these are the best out of the, what do we have now in the country, 8,000? Yeah, about 8,000, yeah. yeah. Somewhere along in there. So 101 of the best, little bit tough. So my questions going in were, well, what are their criteria? I think he used a lot of people in the field who are really familiar with these wineries. 
But just, you know, walking through the first 10, the range is so vast. Tablas Creek in Paso Robles, Ridge Vineyards here in the Santa Cruz Mountains in California, Abon Clamat, Calera. So it's sort of some that are very, very prominent and have a great visitor experience. And then some that are a little more obscure. Calera is on Mount Harlan in San Benito County. County. And what I'm thinking is that behind a lot of these, they might be looking for wineries that have influenced the industry quite a bit and the way wine is made. I mean, Calera was the child of Josh Jensen, who is a Pinot Noir fanatic and, and a fanatic about limestone. And he, he searched California for three years to find a place that had limestone where he could grow his Pinot Noir. I mean, very influential, but not many people know about him. Yeah. Well, I think also that one of the criteria was the price per quality ratio, uh, essentially the value of the wines and the approachability of the wines. In other words, there are no screaming eagles on this list because, yeah, great wine, but, you know, is it worth $5,000 right. or whatever? That's debatable to a lot of people, and that's not to disparage that label at all by any means. If you want to send me a bottle, feel free. But <laughs> but I think, Don't expect it soon from me. But I think, you know, when you've got a bunch of some and restaurateurs and the like that are putting a list like this together, you know, it's natural, for instance, for a chef to or the person who's heading up the wine program in a, a restaurant, let's say, to seek out the Caleras of the world as well as, you know, bigger names that have higher production because that's usually the sign of a good wine list where you have some wines that people are going to be familiar with and are of a high quality, but also wines that people are less familiar with that the diner or the visitor to the wine bar is going to walk away and say, wow, that was a great discovery. Glad I went. Right, right. No, I think you're completely right. And that quality to price ratio, I think, is important here. I mean, they didn't shy away from solidly priced wines, like yeah. number nine is Leonetti from Walla Walla up in Washington. I think their reserve is well over $200 a bottle if you can get it. Oh, and thank you for getting that for my birthday, by the way. I appreciated that. <laughs> no problem. I, I sent it anonymous. I knew you'd know. Can't wait till Christmas. <laughs> All right. But it seems I kind of expected when I went into this list, and I think maybe a lot of general people out there um, outside the wine industry would think that the 101 best wineries are the best wineries I should go to and not just the ones producing the most important wines in the country. But I think maybe it leans towards that, the most important wines in the country. I think that's definitely the case. I gathered from the conversation with Coleman that it wasn't about the physical structure or the property as, you know, that was certainly a, a part of the criteria, but not the overwhelming criteria that it was really more about the overall uh, quality of the wine based upon a number of factors, including cost. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. I, I think that that's a good evaluation. Biggest surprise on the list to you or, or were there a couple of them there that you went, wow, I wouldn't have thought of that? Yeah. Yeah, there were actually, and I'm just skimming down here. The surprises for me came towards the later end. Number 71 is Truchard Vineyards in yeah. Napa. Yes. And I was so pleased to see that on there. It's a stealth label. They've been making really good wines for a long time, but at really affordable prices. Really affordable prices. You're, yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. And, so uh, I loved that that was on there. Yeah. And I was surprised to see some friends uh, of ours like 
like tally vineyards on there at, at number 31. You right. know, this farming family that's into a lot of different things besides grapes, and they put as much love into their vegetables as they put into their wines, very reasonably priced wines. Uh, a lot of Central Coast wines on there. And wasn't it neat to see the wines from other states on there? You know? Yeah, I would look at the label and I would think, I've never heard of that. And then realize, well, it's in Michigan. And I happen to be based in California. And I'm so glad that there's a Michigan winery on here, Virginia, New York, and Texas. And going to the very end, um, almost the end, number 100, I loved this. Dolan Malibu Estate. Malibu Coast has just, just become an official AVA. And Dolan is one of the lead labels there. And I love that they actually made it onto this list. Are they the ones that make the, there's a very hot Chardonnay coming out of Malibu, and I can't remember who the winemaker is. Is it Dolan or is it somebody else? I'm pretty sure it's Dolan. Yeah. yeah. Their Chardonnay is really tasty. Yeah. And, and it's really from their backyard vineyard, an acre, you know. Because there's not much of it out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great well, view of the ocean. All right. Okay. Well, pretty interesting list, definitely. And would you say that there are at least, okay, it's 101. So would you say that if you were forced at gunpoint to create a list of the same kind, that there are at least 20 wineries on here that would make the Sarah Schneider top 101? Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. I just went to one that I consider cornerstone in Napa Valley, but is a little bit of a stealth winery, um, Corazon. Um, Kathy Corazon makes beautiful Cabernets that never really did chase some of the outlandishly high alcohol levels that some of the winemakers did for a while. And she's just one of the true talents. I think you have to have something like that. And, and I could go on. Okay, but no, you can't go on because this segment's this segment's done. So okay. we're going to talk again next week by phone, and we're going to get caught up on what Sarah Schneider is doing. But let's be honest with everybody: uh, there's going to be at least a couple of weeks where we're not going to hear from you again because while we're all back here working, you're going to be doing what? <laughs> I will be on a wine cruise. Sunset's yeah. the first wine cruise. Wow, cruising into the sunset with sunset. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Too poetic. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this segment with Sarah. Sarah, so glad to have you back on. My goodness. Really good to be here, David. Thanks. And, yeah. And to all of you who were concerned, I just want to say three, four, maybe it's five words. Na, 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 na. Anyway, she's back. <laughs> and Sarah, we'll talk to you next week. And we'll be back with more Grape Encounters. I got to catch up on a few other things next right here. So don't go anyplace. A bottle of white. A bottle of red. Perhaps a bottle of rosé instead. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. A bottle of whites. Your Grape Encounter will continue momentarily. So while you're listening to these important messages, do a little multi-processing and join the Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page. That way we can share things with you that we might not be able to tell you on the radio.
If you have a thirst for wine knowledge, be it trivia or the latest trends, there's a website that's overflowing with content that we've created just for you. It's GrapeEncounters.com, where you'll find literally hundreds upon hundreds of stories and interviews covering almost every topic imaginable. From the world's most colorful and renowned winemakers to unforgettable wine adventures, there's something for every wine lover at GrapeEncounters.com. Go ahead, log on, uncork, pour, swirl, and sip. As a grape encounterist, you know how much fun an hour of conversation about wine can be each week. But there's no way we can pack everything into a show. Listeners just like you are turning the Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group into an incredible online community where like-minded wine lovers converse, share information, and inspire each other with posts on a variety of interesting topics. If you haven't discovered your community, join in today on Facebook by entering Grape Encounters Radio. If you love wine, then you probably love to travel, too. And there are two places you should really visit soon. The best part is, you don't even have to pack a bag or leave your house. If you're looking for adventures in wine, log on to GrapeEncounters.com. There you'll find an audio library of more than 300 stories that will take you virtually anywhere you want to go. At GrapeEncounters.com, you'll find short subjects as well as full stories. All audio can be downloaded with one click, and you'll be amazed at the broad range of subject matter. Another place you really should visit is our Facebook group page. Simply search for Grape Encounters Radio or click on the link on our website. The Grape Encounters Radio group has become a formidable place for wine lovers to exchange ideas, introduce products, and share upcoming events. If you're not already a group member, then join the party on Facebook. Grape Encounters is more than a radio broadcast. It's a family of like-minded, fun-loving, unpretentious wine lovers. Come fill up your glass today. Grape Encounters presents what we heard through the grapevine. Today's top news, trends, and stories. Here's what we've encountered. This is Grape Encounters News. All right, back with Grape Encounters and David Wilson. And as I promised a moment ago, I want to wrap up today's show with a few stories from the news all about wine. Some of them amusing, some of them educational, but certainly the kind of news that you need to live. So the first one involves one of America's most high-profile wine drinkers. And let me simply start by saying that the next time you take a cruise ship vacation, don't be surprised if Kathy Lee Gifford finds her way into your wine glass. No, Kathy Lee Gifford is not the new cruise ship director on the love boat, but there's a good chance you'll come across her on your next cruise vacation. That's because the co-host of the Today Show now has her name on a Pinot Noir Rosé that will be served aboard Carnival cruise ships. Oh, so you didn't know that Kathy Lee is making wine? Well, the term making wine certainly is subject to interpretation. These days, an endless list of actors, musicians, sports stars, and other celebrities are finding their way into the world of wine. And let's face it, celebrity sells. The problem is there's a big difference between making wine and taking credit for the wine that is made. While there are certainly a number of celebrity winemakers who truly do spend countless hours in the vineyard and winery, there are many more who simply lend their name to a brand and watch the sales skyrocket regardless of how good or bad the wine may be. 
Kathy Lee, who spends a great deal of time seemingly advocating overindulgence, is frequently poked fun at by the likes of Saturday Night Live. And while Gifford's wines are actually made by Shide Vineyards in California, anyone who overindulges can safely make the claim, Kathy Lee got me intoxicated. Now, speaking of wine and television, it's hard to watch American television without viewing a scene that includes one or more people enjoying a glass of wine. Wine is an American point of pride, so it's no wonder who the Emmy Awards chose as this year's wine partner. America is the world's leading producer of television programming. It is also one of the leading producers of fine wine. In fact, few things pair together better than an episode of House of Cards or Game of Thrones and a delicious glass of wine from California or perhaps Washington, Oregon, or New York. Product placement of American wines is commonplace on American television, and those cameos can be very costly indeed. So it's easy to imagine one of California's top-tier wineries paying to get their wines in the spotlight. Well, taking all of this into consideration, it probably won't surprise you that the 67th Primetime Emmy Awards season wine sponsor will be none other than, drumroll please, Penfolds, a prestigious Australian winemaker. Seriously, Australian? Now, nothing against Penfolds. I'd love to have a bottle of their $850 Grange wine, but it would surely be nice to see two of America's greatest industries cross-promoting each other. After all, the Emmys is about honoring the television industry's top talent. So shouldn't that top talent be celebrated with the top talent that can be found in wineries across America? All I can say is this. If Crocodile Dundee comes back as a TV series, I'm moving to France. Now, while it wouldn't be unthinkable for me to move to France, it would be unthinkable for me to move to Russia. Anyone who has visited Russia knows that vodka is pretty inexpensive there. But apparently, the same is not true for wine, and these days, Bulgaria is really feeling it. I recently had the privilege of visiting St. Petersburg, Russia, and was delighted to see how delicious and inexpensive vodka is there. In fact, complimentary vodka is commonplace, and free vodka tastings are easy to find. But in recent years, wine has become a very hot commodity in Russia, and much of the demand was being filled by the importation of wines from Bulgaria and other European countries. Unfortunately, the economic woes that now plague the country have caused wine sales to plummet. In fact, as a result of the current political and economic climate, Bulgarian wine sales have fallen a staggering, no pun intended, 60%. For those who think Russians only drink vodka, consider this. The decrease in Russian wine purchases due to economic woes is so significant that virtually all European wine producers are feeling the pinch. In a country where an estimated 18 million people live below the poverty level, it's ironic that Russian President Vladimir Putin recently planted a vineyard on his lavish estate in Spain. The special varietal planted is expected to produce wines that will sell for 750 euros or more per bottle. I guess it's safe to say that they won't be Putin those bottles on Russian wine store shelves. Now, while we're on the subject of wine on store shelves, my next story begins with a recent survey which revealed that wine drinkers tend to be better educated than the average Joe. But, you know, there's an exception to every rule, and have I got a story for you. What's that got to do with wine on store shelves? Well, hear me out. 
Given the fact that many criminals are not necessarily the smartest people on the planet, if the survey I mentioned earlier is correct, it would stand to reason that wine would not be the thug beverage of choice. Well, that wasn't the case with one parolee in Barrington, New Hampshire. Apparently, the 24-year-old male who was on probation walked into a Walgreens in the town of Lee and walked out with bottles of wine, forgetting that wine is something you have to pay for. Upon examining the surveillance video, police noticed something unusual. The suspect was wearing an ankle bracelet, the kind that tells the probation department exactly where you are at any given moment. And I'm thinking, if I'm a little dot on a GPS screen, I'm not going to go looking for a five-finger discount at Walgreens. And were I a thief willing to risk arrest for stealing wine, I'm going to the very best wine shop I can find. While I am often pleasantly surprised by the nice selection of wines sold in places like Walgreens these days, there is one very popular premium brand that I have never seen on their shelves. It's called The Prisoner. All right, that's going to do it for this week's Grape Encounters. We'll be back here the same time on this same channel next week. Be sure to log on to GrapeEncounters.com and check out all the back episodes of Grape Encounters Radio. We have actually 313 hours of Grape Encounters on file, not counting this particular episode. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group page. Just simply search for the Grape Encounters Radio group page, then ask to join the group and we will approve you post-haste. Anyway, it's been a privilege talking to you today. We look forward to talking to you next week. And if you have any show ideas, be sure to contact us through our website, grapeencounters.com. You'll see a place where there's a contact form. So simply drop me a note and there may be a little prize in it for you. You just never know. We will be back here next week. In the meantime, simply remember this. You don't have to go out and spend a ton of money on wine, but life is too short to drink wine that you don't truly love.